In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Brothers, sisters, and respected viewers, assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you for joining us once again in our series on the topic of the afterlife. Where, inshallah, for the time being, we have concluded an important chapter in this, uh, in this theme or in this series. And this is a chapter that has to do with understanding the journey. We want to now start turning our attention to the relationship between this life and the next life, or this world and the next world. And we're going to do that in a series of lectures, each of them looking at this relationship from a different angle. That will include, for instance, uh, how do actions and beliefs and intentions in this world become the reward and the punishment of the afterlife? What do we mean by that? And what type of relationship is there between this life and the next world overall? And what's the relationship between faith and action? And then how does that translate in the afterlife? The lecture for today is supposed to be something of a bridge between everything that we've covered until now and those topics that are coming, inshallah. Given everything that we've said, we want to do a quick comparison. And this is supposed to be intuitive. I think that the short answer, we all know it. This is not the point of this. This is more of an introspective exercise. It's for us, and it's also to equip ourselves in case we need to have that type of conversation with anyone else. I think this is a topic that is perhaps a lot more relevant nowadays, even though the objections to someone believing in an afterlife, believing in a religion, building their entire life around the idea that there's an afterlife and that it's eternal and so on and so forth. And therefore this has this having an impact on their daily lives, on their on all of their decisions in life. Uh, and those who reject that are going to find that perhaps ridiculous or, or mock it or so on and so forth. That in itself is nothing new. This has always existed. There are those who have believed that there is more, that there's an afterlife, that human beings are gonna live eternally. You have to live in accordance with certain values and teachings, otherwise you are going to suffer eternal consequences as a result. And then there are those who reject those ideas and usually those who mock those ideas and, and hold those who hold them in, in ridicule. So that in itself is, is nothing new. What is perhaps new is the manner in which these are attacked, these are, are presented. I think we live in, in a much more material world than we think we do, especially if we compare it to the past. The availability of resources, what we're exposed to, the ease with which we have access to it, and so on and so forth, is a lot more overwhelming than it used to be in the past. These things are, you know, a, a click away. Everything is available. We live in societies of... Uh, you know, abundance of luxuries and abundance of wealth and so on and so forth. Not to say this is not the same thing as saying that that wealth actually reaches the right hands and 
uh, and so on and so forth. But if you compare livelihood today to you know, decades ago, centuries ago, millennia ago, what a human being possesses in terms of wealth is very different. And uh, yes, wealth is still concentrated at the top, at the very, very top, but we're talking about the normal average livelihood of a human being. It's not as difficult for us, for instance, to have shelter, to have food, to feel safe, especially environments like these. And so you quickly slide into uh, a type of complacency and giving priority to a materialist outlook on life. Why would you not enjoy what this life has to offer as opposed to living a life entirely focused, entirely based on things that are perhaps uncertain, they're doubtful, they're questionable. Are you really going to put all of your eggs in that basket when you're not even sure, you know, who says that this is what's going to happen after you die and, and so on and so forth. So we've covered these topics from a variety of angles until now. This is one additional one. So we want to do a quick com comparing of this world and the next world uh, based on some rational arguments, but we want to follow the logic of the Holy Quran, how it presents this life and the next with, I think there's uh, three big points that we're going to be uh, mentioning here, and then the logical conclusion of all of this. So that's the idea here, is that, you know, uh, in terms of a topic, and, and we've said this again and again a few times, a lot of these topics are no longer as uh, demanding uh, in terms of, of thinking, but they're very important in terms of uh, actually digesting this and making sure that this is now part of who we are and how we live our lives. And this is a, requires a different type of effort. This is a practical effort. Integrating this into our identity, into who we are and basing our lives on them is a completely different exercise than you know, the mental gymnastics of understanding abstract philosophical notions as we had in the beginning. So with all of this said, what we've covered until now, very high level, is that we've covered the necessity of the afterlife, both from a rational perspective and a scriptural perspective. There has to be an afterlife. So that should be clear to all. So we are building on that today. So that's one, one stream where this is coming from. The second one is we've talked, I think, sufficiently about what will happen to this world and the nature of this world, and the inevitable end of this world. So this is a temporary, ephemeral, frail existence, and it has an end. And we're going to be building on that today, inshallah. That's two. The third is, we've also talked at length, and inshallah, you thought it was worthwhile, where we kind of explored this incredibly long and arduous and, and unknown journey to us everything that awaits a human being from the moment they start dying and afterwards. We explored the process of death, Alam al-Barzakh, this intermediary middle world, and then some of the big milestones that are to take place as this world comes to an end, and then existence moves into getting ready and then entering into the afterlife. And the big milestones that await us in the Day of Judgment, all the way to humanity actually being separated into groups and entering uh, heaven or hell, their eternal uh, abode, their eternal resting place. So building on all of this, or as it says here, with all of this in mind, these are the big streams that are going to be kind of feeding this, this exercise that we're trying to do. 
If someone has all of this in mind, which of these two types of existence are you going to choose? And this is not necessarily a matter, and inshallah, this is the outcome of all of this, and we're going to build on this not only in the next chapters, but hopefully in the next series that we discussed, our relationship with this world, what it's supposed to be, how we're supposed to view it and live in it. We will talk about that at length. But for the time being, if you are in situations, and this is what I want to emphasize now and when we end this, so that this becomes your takeaway from this. It's not that you always have a choice to make between the two worlds, the two lives. It's that you are going to be confronted with situations where you have to choose one over the other. Otherwise, there's a way for you to live, and inshallah, we're going to touch on that today without getting into too far in there. There is a way to live where you are able to fully benefit, enjoy, appreciate, and, and uh, you know, uh, fully take advantage of everything that this world has to offer, while at the same time prioritizing the afterlife. So inshallah, we are, we are going to touch on that today, but this requires many more discussions, and inshallah, we're, we're starting to touch on this topic. And I think for many of you, this is an important topic. But in those cases where there is a choice to be made, which one do you choose? And inshallah, the answer is clear, but it's more the rationalization behind it for ourselves and then for others if we are ever in those circumstances, in those situations where why are you choosing one over the other? And of course, as we said, we're trying to follow a little bit of the logic of the Holy Quran here. So we're not only relying on, on rational arguments, and as we said, you know, this series from the beginning, there's a reason why we're doing this. From the beginning, we said that this series is initially based on the idea that we want to create a belief system that is convincing for us, that is based on rational, solid, clear, convincing arguments, which means rational, logic, objective. Any human being who has proper logic should recognize what we're saying. But as we go along and as we get into some of the details related to belief systems, at the beginning we cannot rely on scripture at all because we haven't proved the validity of scripture. But as the validity of scripture, one, becomes proven to us, and two, we recognize the role that scripture is supposed to play, where we see that scripture is supposed to specifically answer those things that human reason cannot grasp, cannot reach, conclusive answers about on its own, human reason is not equipped to reach conclusions about those things. This is where you have to turn to scripture. You have to see, did the creator of this world, did the one who created us and the world in which we live, did he give us answers related to this or not? And that's one of the roles of scripture, as we've said again and again. And so part of this exercise, of course, is to kind of always now add the scriptural component to see what does scripture actually say? What does religion actually say literally about these topics in addition to kind of the vague, high-level, logical, rational arguments that we're presenting and will continue to present related to this topic. As for the importance of the question, I think I alluded to it. We don't need to spend more time on this. It is an important question, one, for ourselves, so that this is clear to us if ever I'm in a situation where I know clearly there's a choice to be made here between what this life is calling me to versus what the next life is calling me to. Then inshallah, this is going to serve a little bit 
of, of kind of fuel for that reflection, if ever we are in that situation, and it may not be right now. It may be something that happens in the future or in our everyday lives. That's one. And two, it's also to add a little bit of kind of the uh, clarity to the thoughts that we may have around this topic, which, as again, I said, inshallah, they're clear enough, but adding the arguments and adding the clarity so that if ever we are in these types of conversations, we know where we stand and, and how to provide the, the answers to them. So with all of this in mind, the big ideas that we're presenting today is, the first one is based on when we compare this world and the next, is that we're looking at how finite this world is. This world is created to end. That's the nature of this world and everything in it, and that includes us. And that's going to be an important point, especially when we compare it to the nature of the afterlife, which is created to remain in existence forever. That's the first point. The second point is going to be the type of experience that you can have in this world, as opposed to the type of experience you can have in the afterlife. The nature of that experience is entirely different, and it's meant to be entirely different for a number of reasons, and we'll mention some of them, and then we'll see how the Holy Quran talks about this. So in terms of both quality and quantity, you can't even compare. That's two. The third is, this is where it gets a little bit more perhaps abstract, philosophical. The nature of this world is supposed to be, this is supposed to be a world that is used as a means and not an end. The objective, the raison d'être, as they say, of this world is that it is to be used as a bridge for something else. And in fact, everything in it points to that direction. So that you use it appropriately for something else. Whereas, if you look at the nature of the afterlife, it is a world created for itself. And this world is created for it. And we are created for it. And so that completely changes, if you uh, value the, the philosophical argument, the rational argument, then the reason for the existence of each one of these worlds should also be taken into consideration that which one you should be prioritizing over the other. That's a last point. And then finally, there are consequences to choosing one over the other. Very practical, very real consequences of choosing one over the other. And we'll see, of course, for each one of these, how the whole Quran addresses it with uh, numerous verses. So the first point has to do with the finitude of this world, that this world has an end, as opposed to the nature of the afterlife, which we said again and again, and we talked to a certain degree about it when we talked about the human soul and how it is not meant to stop, to cease to exist just because the body stops to live, for instance. Everything in this world this world in itself and everything in it, and that includes human beings, comes to an end. And of course, we've said again and again, at a rational level, this seems to be a trivial thing to say. Uh, it has a completely different impact when this hits us. You know, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, God forbid, uh, that when there are people who are close to us who pass away, we usually realize this a lot more. Or when, God forbid, any of us are faced with life-threatening situations, injuries, disease, whatever it may be, this comes much more into perspective. The realization that our life is going to come to an end. 
So beyond just the thought that everything ends, really understanding that we and everything we know in this world, and this world in itself, in its entirety, cumulatively taken, taken, is going to come to an end. So this needs to remain as one of the premises, one of the facts that we keep in mind about this world. We compare this with, and I don't need to emphasize, like even for a human being, let's say a human being today, let's say the, the average life is 80, 80 some years, even if it were 100, even if it were 200 or 300 or 1,000 or 10,000 years, it is still gonna come to an end. And that alone should be something that we keep in mind. And then we compare with what we've said about this other dimension of our existence, which is our more spiritual existence, our soul, which does not cease to exist just because the body has died. And that it continues in another type of world that allows that type of continued eternal existence. When we turn to the Holy Quran, we see that there are over, I wrote here about 80 verses of the Holy Quran, repeating again and again that the life of the afterlife, the hereafter, the next world, is eternal. It's mentioned again and again. There's a point being made here. There's a, a specific case repeatedly stated once should have been enough that the Holy Quran says it's an eternal existence. The Holy Quran repeats it for over 80 verses. So already here, it's, if the discussion goes to, you know, which one are you choosing, the choice should be really easy. It should not require much discussion. And in addition to this, this is where the Holy Quran usually com combines with this idea that this world is ending and the next world is going to be eternal. It also adds, and this can be understood in multiple ways, and we'll see that in the next point how it could be understood in a different way. When the Holy Quran says that the enjoyment of this world or all the luxuries of this world, anything that you may enjoy in this world is but little. And one way to understand this is to understand that it doesn't last long. And this is in reference to this entire world. Your entire existence in this world does not last long. In fact, this whole world does not last long. And you may remember, and we didn't make the, a point to, to talk about this topic at length, but if you compare the, the durations in this world, the time scales in this world, compared to everything that happens in the afterlife, everything that happens in the moment we die and afterwards, but especially in the afterlife, especially in the next world, you see that the scale is completely disproportionate. And the Holy Quran makes a point about this, but when you add the narrations, it adds so much more. Like there's a point being made specifically that there are things like a day here that suddenly become 50,000 years in the afterlife. And as I said, this could be a, a topic on its own, but the point being made is that what you consider to be of a certain unit of measure, if you compare that with what is happening in the afterlife, you see that no matter how you look at this world, including scales of time, units of time, you see that they are but little. They're almost insignificant when compared to what's happening in the afterlife. So when, of course, you compare things like days with days and you see this, and then you see the insistence of the Holy Quran on notions like ahqab, for instance, that we said, you know, roughly speaking, let's say that this is how the Arabs used to understand the century, our notion of century, which is either 80 or 100 or 120 years uh, of time, for instance. But if you combine that with 
the scales of time or how time is stretched or you know however you want to understand the difference and the duration that it comes to add to this point that everything in this world is little including all of its enjoyments so you as a human being everything that you think you're going to work towards because you're going to enjoy something out of it is going to be but little in fact your entire life is but little in fact the existence of this entire world from its beginning to its end is but little and this becomes on the practical side this usually becomes a very very powerful and important point if you look at the nature of the the sins that human beings perform how long does the sin actually last? How long of an enjoyment is it? It's but little. And so what are you willing to sacrifice? How much are you buying this sin for? Are you getting a bargain or are you getting screwed? Is this a worthy transaction? Is this a fair transaction that for three seconds of pleasure, for two minutes of pleasure, for three days of pleasure, for tasting something good, for drinking something good, it's one drink or one food or one act, that lasts how long? And this is, this is the point. The enjoyments of this life are but little. And inshallah, we're going to add to that on the second point. But here, it's, it's more on the duration side that everything here comes to an end, to a very quick end. And of course, as we said, the Holy Quran uses these analogies a lot. And one of the analogies that comes back again and again, and inshallah we're going to talk about this, keep it in mind, the analogy of the garden and everything related to the garden. It's something that I think human beings understand intuitively. Any human society will understand this. Those who are closer to nature understand it more. They live it. But how the Holy Quran constantly describes this world as something that is like a lush uh, vegetation and garden with or orchards and, and uh, other uh, trees of fruits and, and so on and so forth. And very quickly it turns into dead leaves and plants and, and it withers away and it becomes chaff and the wind comes and blows everything and there's nothing left. So, you know, overnight and, you know, the, the glance of an eye and then secondly you look again and it's gone as though it never existed. And so there's this is an analogy, this is an image that the Holy Quran uses repeatedly. It says, this is the nature of this world. Don't get tricked, don't get duped thinking that you're working for something that is lasting. It's not lasting at all. It moves very quickly and it will change faster than you think. So if we look at the verses of the Holy Quran that have to do with this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Maryam, Allah increases in guidance those who are rightly guided. And lasting righteous deeds, or الصالحات, and lasting righteous deeds. And this is a, a beautiful expression that the Holy Quran adds. Those that are good, the deeds that are good, that are lasting. الصالحات, those that are lasting righteous deeds are better in reward with your Lord and better in return, or at the return. Both can be understood. In Surah Taha, do not extend Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, talking to us through the Holy Prophet. He tells them, don't extend your glance. Don't look to those, toward those that we have given, you know, some groups of them. We've given them a lot of things to enjoy, the splendor of the present worldly life. We've given some people a lot of things to enjoy. Don't, don't get tricked. Don't let that pull your glance your sight, your, your eyesight towards it. 
that we may test them thereby. This is all a test. Don't get tricked. Don't think that this is the end. This is just a means. And no matter how you use it, at the end, it's a test. And the provision of your Lord, and this is where the constant reminder, and the provision of your Lord is better and more lasting. If you want something lasting, we have it. We will give it to you. Keep your eyes on it. And so that Al-Qasas, whatever things you have been given, are only the enjoyments of this life, and this, uh, the enjoyments of the life of this world, and it's glitter. Constantly this use, uh, the, when you see glitter, it's zina, right? The zina, the, the decorations, the ornaments, things that are there to beautify and to distract and to make something appear nicer than it really is. And what is with Allah is better and more lasting. Will you not apply reason? And Surah Ghafir, this is Mu'min al-Fir'aun, the man who was initially dissimulating his faith while he was you know, questioning his people, telling them, why are you not believing in Musa salam Oh my people, the life of this world is only a passing enjoyment. And indeed, the hereafter is the lasting home of settlement or permanence. In Surah At-Tawbah, O oh, you who have believed, and we could spend the whole lecture just on this, this verse, O oh, you who have believed, what is the matter with you? That when you are told to go forth in the way of Allah, you sink heavily to the ground. Are you pleased with the life of this world instead of the hereafter? But the enjoyments of the life of this world compared with the hereafter are but little. So this is the, the constant reminder of the whole Quran. The parable of the life of this world. These are the constant examples, analogies the whole Quran uses. Surah Yunus, the parable of the life of this world is that of water, which we sent down from the sky. It mingles with the earth's vegetation from which humans and cattle eat. And there's a point here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you know, this is for all. Don't think that this is anything special. Yes, do recognize that these are all blessings that Allah is giving you. But, and we're going to come back to that, inshallah, in the next lesson and after that. Don't consider that you are special because you have reached these enjoyments and these blessings that Allah has given to you as he has given to the cattle, okay, and everybody else. There's nothing special about it. There's no additional merit or value in you for having access to those things. Don't build anything on that. Don't look further into it. It mingles with the earth's vegetation from which humans and cattle eat. Then when the earth puts on its luster and is adorned and its inhabitants think that they have power over it, because now it's all lush and full of vegetation, our command comes to it by night or day, whereat we turn it into a mown field, as if it did not flourish the day before. It's all gone. Thus do we elaborate the signs for a people who reflect. In Surah Al-Kahf, draw for them the parable of the life of this world. See the, the example or the story or the image the Holy Quran uses again and again. It is like the water we sent down from the sky, then the earth's vegetation mingles with it, then it becomes chaff, scattered by the wind. So completely dried and dead vegetation, when the wind comes, it just scatters it away, there is nothing left. And Allah is omnipotent over all things. And in Surah Al-Hadid, and we spent time talking about this verse, so I'm not going to comment on it. Allah subhanahu wa says, know that the life of this world is just play and diversion and glitter and mutual vainglory among you and covetousness, takatharan, for wealth and children, like the rain whose vegetation impresses the farmer, 
then it withers and you see it turn yellow, then it becomes chaff. Well, the hereafter, so this is a, the, the Quran itself doing that comparing act for us. While in the hereafter, there is a severe punishment and forgiveness from Allah and His pleasure, and the life of this world is nothing but the wares of delusion, things of delusion. So don't get deluded. Don't fall, don't, don't fall for the delusion. That's the first point. The second point is if we look at the nature of those things. So usually when people are questioning you, the big question or the big objection is going to be why don't you enjoy what this life has to offer? Why do you avoid or why do you stop yourself from enjoying what this life has to offer? Because really that's the strongest argument. What else is there? And they see the person who is a believer preventing themselves from certain things that those who do not believe get to enjoy. Really that's the strongest argument. There is no stronger argument than that. So let us look at those enjoyments specifically. And of course, in addition to what we just said, when the whole Quran says, but little, right? The enjoyments of this world are but little. Yeah. The enjoyments you talk about um, are haram enjoyments? No. Enjoyments in general? Oh, anything that you can enjoy in this world. When we look at the type of world that it is, and we look at human existence, Yes, you see that there are people who enjoy a lot of things. We enjoy a lot of things in our lives. But let's go to someone who has a lot more to enjoy. Someone we consider as having it all, having everything, whatever they desire, whatever they wish. It's available, it's accessible, it's easy, comfortable, so on and so forth. In this world, no matter where you look, no matter who you talk to, you will never find anywhere you will never find anyone who will tell you that this is a world of pure pleasure. Even those who enjoy a lot more pleasure in quantity and in better quality of pleasure, that pleasure is mixed with a lack of pleasure or pain. This is a world where pure pleasure does not exist. So quantity and quality, both of them, if you look at them in terms of things that you can enjoy in this world, you will never find that there are absolutes in this world. Everything is mixed. No matter how much you have to enjoy, there's a whole lot that comes from you, from your surroundings, external factors, whatever it may be. And sometimes the biggest stress is the fear of losing what you're enjoying in this specific second or having all sorts of mental issues, or having to deal with stressful situations, or the hard work that goes into getting those things, but the things in themselves don't have any meaning for you, and so on and so forth. We could look at this from so many angles. Pure pleasure in this world does not exist. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not create this world with pure pleasure in it. He put enough pleasure in it to be used as a test for human beings, one, and two, to make the world function in the way that it does. You have things that become your drivers. You have things that become your incentives and your motivations that push human beings to act in a certain way and to avoid, avoid certain things. That's just part of the structure and the nature of this world. That's completely different from saying that this is a world where there is real pleasure. And this is a point that the Holy Quran makes. 
It says if you really want true pleasure or true pain, both, that only exists in the afterlife. What you have here is a glimpse, or in the words of the Holy Quran, it says a taste. We're giving you a taste of what true pleasure can be, and we're giving you a taste of what punishment and torture and unhappiness and so on and so forth can be. We're not giving it to you raw and unfiltered and absolute. That can only exist in the afterlife. And one way to understand that entire last part of the chapter that we had, we just finished, which is looking at hell and looking at paradise, the nature of hell and the nature of paradise is specifically to this point, which is heaven or paradise is supposed to be that type of world where it's only pure and absolute pleasure. And hell is the opposite, is the world where there is a complete and absolute absence of pleasure. That's all there is, as opposed to this world where you will never find absolute pleasure and you will never find absolute pain. And a lot of our scholars say, in addition to the fact that this is the type of world it needs to be, to put human beings in that kind of context to be tested and to be given the incentives to go both ways and all of that. In addition to all of that, we need to look at it from a more practical perspective, an ethical perspective. We see that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala did not put the pure pleasure in this world, kind of like a reminder. They say even where you see the most beautiful things in this world, the most enjoyable things in this world, within that thing in itself, it always comes with a reminder that there is no pure beauty, there is no pure enjoyment, there is no pure pleasure in this world. There is always something that will remind you that there's a side effect, that this comes at a price, that this comes with a danger, that this comes with a lack. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created it specifically this way so that those who have that penetrating thought, the deeper thought, and you see things for what they truly are, you have one more reason to back off. One more reason to say, well, I'm not going to get tricked. You're only looking at the beautiful side of this thing. You're only looking at the enjoyment side of this thing. There is another aspect to this that you're not looking at. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically created this world with this always there, with anything that you look at, with all of its beauty and all of its enjoyment and all of its pleasure. There's always The reminder is right there for you if you want to look, if you want to see. And if you don't see it, go ask the ones who have enjoyed this, who will tell you, they will warn you that this does come at a price, this does come with a lack, this does come with a, with a danger, and so on and so forth. And this is what doesn't happen in the afterlife. If what you're after is the enjoyment, or what you're after is the lack of pain, or what you're after is the pure happiness that you can get, this is a constant reminder from the Holy Quran that this is true life. True life, your ability to feel, your ability to truly feel that you exist and you feel something out of that existence, this can only happen in the afterlife. In this world, we only allow you to taste what that could be. And the thing in itself, or tasting the thing, these are two completely different things. And the Holy Quran constantly says, we're giving you a taste, we're giving them a taste, we're just making them taste it. The Holy Quran is choosing that expression very carefully. So of course, the, when you compare in this world, as we said, no one has it all. 
even those who enjoy, they don't enjoy absolutely and fully. There are lacks in their enjoyment because it's a human condition. And on the other side, even those that live in torture and pain and so on and so forth and difficulties, there's always something in there of an enjoyment, of pleasure, of happiness. Because this is not a world of only one or only the other. As opposed to what happens in the afterlife, where you don't have that mixing. Those who enjoy, only enjoy. And those who are in pain, those who are suffering, are only in pain and suffering. There is no mix. Okay, and the, the importance of this is that the more we truly understand what this means, the clearer the choice becomes. Okay, that's the, the point of all of this. And then secondly, when you look the the, the reason, the, the point that we're trying to make when we say the Holy Quran keeps talking about the tasting of the pleasure or the pains of this world, is that in terms of intensity, so there is the nature in terms of quality and quantity. The intensity of what you're feeling does not compare. If here it's only a taste, if you're only getting a 1%, if you're going getting a diluted version of something, then you need to look at both sides, both in terms of pleasure and pain. What could it possibly mean in the afterlife? Okay, so these are the main points related to this topic. If we look at the verses of the Quran, the first one from Surah Al-A'raf, say, who has forbidden and this is a, an important, important key verse that inshallah we're, we'll spend more time on it later. Say, who has forbidden the adornment of Allah, which he has brought forth for his servants and the good things of his provision? Who, who said that all the things that are enjoyable of this world are forbidden? Who, who has said that? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is questioning this. He's saying that's not the point. No one should be concluding from everything that we have said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is forbidding the things that he has put in this world as enjoyments. So notice how the verse continues. Say they are for the believers in the life of this world and exclusively for them on the day of resurrection. So you want to focus on the afterlife and you will get both. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says something here, there's a key here, which is, it's as though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying the things that are created, created in this world to be enjoyed by human beings, in fact, they were really created to be enjoyed by the believers. And the believers means they are using them in a specific way because they are believers. But the point of putting these enjoyable things in this world is that the believers enjoy them. The difference, if you remember the story of humans and cattle benefiting from the rain, in this verse it says, they're for all to enjoy. They are created for the believers, but they are for all to enjoy. There's nothing exclusive. In this world, the things that are to be enjoyed, they are created for the believers to enjoy, but they're accessible to all. And of course, this is the type of world it is, and people get to them however they get to them. The believer thinks there's a specific way to get to them, and a specific way to use them. The non-believer will do whatever they feel like doing and using them however they feel like using them. The difference is when it comes to the afterlife. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and they are, these things that you consider enjoyable, they are exclusively for the believers on the day of judgment and the afterlife. This is the difference. Those who do not believe when they enjoy those things in this world, they have nothing left in the afterlife. 
As for the believer, yes, they may enjoy the things so long as they are a believer. They may enjoy all that is to be enjoyed in this world. That's why these things were created. Okay? So inshallah, as we said, this this becomes a a, a a huge principle on which we can establish a lot of rules and guidelines for our lives. Okay? Inshallah, we'll come back to that. As we said, when we talk about that whole topic of how do we understand and view the life of this world? How are we to be moving in it? How are, to be, how are we to be making decisions in it and prioritizing in it? Thus do we elaborate the signs for people who have knowledge. In Surah Al-Isra, observe how we have given some of them an advantage over others. Of course, some have more. So the whole Quran admits that. It says that's exactly how we have created things. We have engineered the world in this way to give some more advantages over others. Yet the hereafter is surely greater in ranks and greater in advantages. Don't think that the true differences are in this world. This is just so that the world works in a certain way. We give some, some advantages, and of course the Holy Quran also says all of these could flip overnight, and those, those who are advantaged become those who are disadvantaged overnight. This is just the nature of this world. The true differences, the true difference in rank, the true advantages are only going to be seen or, or experienced in the afterlife. And many other verses are in that same line, so you have them here if you want to look into them. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is the other verses, there is a punishment for them in the life of this world, and the punishment of the hereafter will surely be harder. This is where I say there's a, there's a constant reminder that this is only a taste. This is not the full thing. So if you compare in terms of the nature and the quality of it, but there's also the quantity. In terms of quantity, it does not compare. There's a punishment for them in the life of this world, and the punishment of the hereafter will surely be harder, and they have no defender against the law. In Surah Taha, thus we, do we require to reward him who is, a way, who is wasteful and does not believe in the signs of, of his Lord, and the punishment of the hereafter is more severe and longer lasting. In Surah Al-Sajda, and we shall surely make them taste the lesser punishment before the greater punishment, so that they may come back. It's, it's a reminder. We put them through some tests, through some punishments, so that they may come back. But if they don't come back, then there's a greater punishment. This is just to make them taste the punishment, so that they may come back. And Surah Al-Zumar, so Allah made them taste. These are the people who went through the, those final types of, of uh, divine punishment. When, when a society, when an ummah decides to completely reject everything that its prophet has given to it clearly, and the truth should have been clear to all, and they continue to stubbornly reject. We saw how one nation after another, many of them were annihilated. If you look at history as it's described in the Holy Quran. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when it talks about this, these were uh, you know, horrendous types of punishment that happened. They completely exterminated entire nations. And still, how does the Holy Quran talk about that type of punishment? It says, so Allah made them taste the humiliation and the life of this world to taste the humiliation and the life of this world and the punishment of the hereafter will surely be greater had they known. So they think that this is a punishment, this is just a taste of the humiliation in this world and when you compare it to the afterlife, that's where the true punishment is going to be. The third topic 
The third point is, as we said, it's perhaps a little bit more abstract, a little bit more theoretical. It's that this world is not created for itself. The afterlife is created for itself. And everything in this world, including it cumulatively, is created for the afterlife. So, of course, this is not something that you can necessarily convince someone who does not believe in an afterlife about. But you can certainly be convinced of it yourself, and you can use that to explain your rationales and your decisions. If this is your, as they call it in the philosophy of science, if this is your axiom, if this is the thing that becomes your starting point, an axiom is something that you cannot prove. It, it's just your starting point. And of course, on their side, it's an axiom too. These are axiomatic positions, as they call them. You, you have to take a starting position that you cannot necessarily prove. And of course, we believe that we are proving it. Okay, But even if you were not to prove it, and you say, this is my starting point. My starting point is that there is an afterlife. If there is an afterlife, it means this world is not created for itself. It's created as a means. It's created as a bridge. It's created as a tool. Use it in this way. I can't use it as though it is the end. I ha it does not make sense. It's foolishness to use something that is supposed to be an instrument for something else, a tool, a bridge for something else. You use that as the end in itself. An example sometimes they give is, they say, imagine someone who goes to a place like a mall, or they go to a place like a, a doctor's office. A normal human being, a sane, logical human being, when they go to these places, they don't consider that movement, that travel, as the end in itself. The journey there, the stay there, is for another end. This is a means to another end. You go to the mall, for instance, to shop and leave. So if you were to see someone who goes to the mall and suddenly they start acting in the mall as though they are going to live there forever. Someone who goes, for instance, they say someone who goes to a doctor's office and instead of focusing on, you know, you go to the receptionist, you make sure that you're next in line, you sit and wait your turn. When they call you, you go in, you do what you have to do with the doctor and then you leave with whatever outcome it is. Imagine someone who goes there, they're not interested in the receptionist, they just sit there, they look around, they're really fascinated by the chairs, the people there, and they stay there for a very long time, and then eventually they leave. That's it. If, if that's the entire situation that just happened, you would say that there's some foolishness here. There's someone who kind of completely misunderstood the purpose of going there. The purpose was that, for instance, you were shopping. Their purpose is to see the doctor. If you got distracted on the way with other things, and suddenly you thought this is your point of being here, of focusing on the chairs or focusing on the people, or thinking suddenly you're going to start acting as though you're going to live in the mall forever, the only way to assess someone like that, to evaluate this behavior, is to say this is foolishness. And worse than that, imagine someone, let's say, who goes to a doctor's office, because that scenario that we just described actually is not possible. And we're going to explain why it's not possible. Imagine someone who goes to the doctor's office because they need to go see the doctor, but instead they do focus on other things. 
they look at who is there, they focus on the people, maybe they pick a fight, maybe they end up, you know, the, the police ends up being called on them and they're taken to jail. That's the end result. They, they commit a crime, they do something completely wrong, illegal, whatever it may be, and that ends up being the result. This is a much worse <coughs> foolishness. It's not only that you, you went there and you got so distracted that you left empty-handed. It's that the equation got completely flipped and you were supposed to leave there with an advantage by using that whole setting in a certain way. And you, in fact, left with a completely opposite, completely negative outcome. And this is actually a more accurate understanding of someone going through this life in this way. Because that neutral situation that we described where someone is just distracted by the things of the mall or the things of the doctor's office actually doesn't exist. There is no possibility for you to come into this world and then either leave with having secured your place in paradise or nothing. The nothing does not exist. You can't, leaving empty-handed is actually a lot worse than empty-handed. And we're going to come back to that in our final conclusion. The outcomes, the, the alternatives or the options you have are not, you know, heaven or nothing or hell. It's only heaven or hell. There's nothing in between. You can't say, I go in there and I leave empty-handed. Empty-handed, by default, can only mean you left, you know, in the, in the car of the police going to jail. You flipped the opportunity that you had. You spat in the face of that opportunity, and you flipped it into a completely and entirely negative outcome for yourself. Okay, so this is the idea of understanding the primacy of the afterlife because it's created for itself. It's an end in itself as opposed to a means, a bridge, a tool that you use for something else, which is the entire nature of this world. And this becomes the key to understanding how you're supposed to interact with this world. So long as this principle remains, you know, front and center in your worldview, there are no, no issues. So long as you understand that this is not the end in itself. This is a means to something else. Everything in this world is a means to something else. Your life, your faculties, your wealth, your children, your whatever you do, whatever success you have, to the extent that you can direct it in that direction, to orient it in that direction, that it becomes a means to that afterlife, that's it. You're securing your place more and more in the afterlife. And you are acting in a way that is completely coherent with the idea that this world is meant for this. And this is where, you know, the I wrote here a point about Aql. You know, they, they asked some of the Imams, they told them, did Muawiyah have Aql? Didn't Muawiyah have Aql? And the Imam answers them because they're saying, you know, he seemed to have been someone who was very successful. You know, politically, he was very successful. He accomplished what he set out to accomplish. And so someone might say, and this is perhaps to a point that was made a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago about, you know, hustling and making it and success of life and so on and so forth. Sometimes that's when you view this as the end. If this is the end. And we have in the, if you look at 
the imams and how they dealt with this. And this gives us a, an entirely different way of understanding what reason is, what aql is. The imam tells them that was not aql. Why? He says, because aql ma'ubida biha rahman waktusiba biha jinan. To the extent that you are able to use this, whatever you want to call it, to the extent that you know how to use it to worship the merciful, to the extent that you use it to acquire the heavens, to acquire paradise, that is happy. Anything else, any other use of this cannot be called happy. It's foolishness. If you are acting as though this is the end in itself, then yeah, Muawiyah was able to reach you know, let's say his political ambitions and desires. If that's what, what your criteria is, what your standard is, yeah, Muawiyah reached that. But he reached that if you are only looking at this world as an end and not as a means. When you look at it as a means, you see that it, he was a miserable failure. He is the example of that person who walked in and stayed in the mall, thinking that the mall is the point. And so I will do whatever I can to stay in the mall the longest and to establish my power and my existence in the mall. Whereas this is supposed to be an end, a means to an end, and not an end in itself. So when the Imam says, you want to use reason, this is your use of reason. Your use of reason has to be in that way. Reason equals worship of the merciful and acquiring paradise. Anything else becomes, and this is the meaning of, why do we say it's foolishness? It cannot be called apple. It cannot be called reason. You got stuck. You got, you fell in the trap. The whole Quran keeps saying these are delusions. This is just glitter. This is just ornaments, decorations. Don't get tricked by them. Don't get duped by them. Well, that's exactly what happened. So the person who got tricked, who got duped, how, you can, how can you consider them to be carrying apple? They're, they're the opposite. This is foolishness. And then finally, the point that I think we have made again and again is that, so is this life to be vilified? Are we supposed to hate this life? And of course, it depends. If someone is going to view this world as the end in itself, the reason for their whole existence and all their efforts and all their willpower and all their energy, then yes, they, this world has become a problem, something vile for them, because that's all they use it for. But the world in itself is not that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not create the world in this way. He created it as an opportunity. It's a land, it's an existence, it's a world of opportunities for you. Everywhere you look, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you opportunities. They're all blessings, they're all things to enjoy that you can do whatever you decide to do with them. If you use it that way, if you keep all of this in mind, there's no way to turn this world into something vile. In fact, it would be very unfair to turn this world into something vile. It's something beautiful. It's that which allowed you to reach and to secure your position in paradise. How can you turn this into something vile? This is the, the land of opportunities. This is your existence of opportunities. Use it in this way. So, verses of the Holy Quran that have to do with this topic, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Imran, and the life of this world is nothing but the enjoyment of delusion, 
or deception. In Surah Al-Ankabut, the life of this world is nothing but diversion and play, and it is the abode of the hereafter, which is indeed the life, if only they knew. This is, this is an incredible verse. When the Holy Quran says, The true life, feeling alive, only happens in the afterlife. This is not real life here. The life of this world is nothing but diversion and play. And it is the abode of the hereafter, which is indeed al-hayawan, the true livelihood, the true living, feeling animated, if only they knew. In Surah Al-Fajr, once again, notice the day when hellfire is brought, on that day the human will remember or take admonition. But what would the, what will the admonition avail him? What will be the point? It will be of no avail at that time to remember it. And he will say, alas, had I sent ahead, for my life. At that point, we said it's the world of truth. You realize that your true life is not this world. So he said, Ya Raytani hayati. The Hayat is not here. We view Hayat as here and then we die. And then we are in the world of the dead. And everything that happens is a world of dying and death and so on and so forth. The whole Quran flips it. it says here there's nothing happening here. It's just delusions and play, diluted forms of everything that really exists in the afterlife. Here we're giving you tastes of it. The true life is the afterlife. And so, you know, to the person who objects that we are putting our eggs in the wrong basket, that, that's, the, that's what we're trying to say. For myself, if I'm questioning this, and for anyone else. And seek by the means of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you. This is when, when Qarun comes back to his people and he has, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted him all these riches and all this wealth of, you know, incredible quantities of wealth that no human being could ever imagine having. When he comes to his people all proud, having rejected faith, having been become arrogant and feeling superior, and some of his people start giving him some advice. So here they tell him and seek by the means of what Allah has given you, don't forget, don't get distracted, don't focus on the wealth. Use this wealth for something. Seek by what, by the means of what Allah has given you, the abode of the hereafter, while not forgetting your share of this world. It's okay for you to enjoy this world. We're not telling you stop enjoying all the wealth and all this wealth can offer you. But remember that you can still use that to seek the afterlife. Use that as a means, not as an end. And do good. Just as Allah has done good to you, and do not seek to cause corruption in the land. Because usually it's only when you have power and money and the means that you can really cause corruption. So do not seek to cause corruption in the land, for indeed Allah does not like the agents of corruption. So finally, and we can go quickly over this, the choice has consequences. So, the things that we have said should be clear. We should have established clearly that this is a finite, ending, temporary, ephemeral, weak, frail world that will be ending, and us in it, as opposed to an everlasting world. That's one. The type of pleasures that exist in this world, quality and quantity, do not compare to, and even in, the self, in themselves are actually quite problematic. And we touched on this in the past when we said there is nothing in this world that is really truly worth, you know, fighting for if this is all there is. 
It's a lot of hard work for not that much return. There are no pure pleasures that will be everlasting and so on and so forth. Okay, so this is just the nature of this world. And finally, if we look at the nature of this world as being a means to an end versus the afterlife being the end for which we were initially created. Those things in themselves should be a sufficient reason for anyone, if they really, as they claim, are using logic and they're using reason, who would ever choose this world over the next life? Based on what? If this is how we understand the afterlife and how when we compare this life with the next, how can you still choose this world? And that's not all. To me, that would be kind of, all of this was part one of the discussion. And part two, it's very quick, it's just a punchline, part two. It's that if, as it says here, if only it's limited enjoyment of this life versus eternal absolute enjoyment of the next life, that's one, then that's superior in every way. But we have to take it one step further. There is a risk. All of this does not even take into account the risk. And as we said, this brings us back to the question or the, the scenario that we gave. It's not that I am choosing one thing and you're choosing nothing. No, no, you're still choosing. You're choosing one or the other. There is no nothing in between that you can choose. There is a risk. The risk is that if you're not choosing this, which I'm hoping to choose, which is paradise, eternal happiness, whatever you want to call it, you are choosing hell. There is nothing in between. You're not even taking precautions just in case. You're not doing that. The least that could be said about me is I'm at least taking the precautions. Because as we said, the two options are not paradise or nothing. We're saying it's paradise or hell. We're saying eternal happiness or eternal damnation. Eternal happiness or eternal unhappiness. Why would I risk eternal unhappiness? Based on what logic? You would need to establish some reason to choose one over the other. And if you have no reason, then logically you should choose the more cautious side and not take a foolish risk. You wouldn't do that with your money. You wouldn't do that with your health. If I put a glass here and I tell you it might be water or it might be you know, some toxic poisonous substance, I don't think you would take that risk. You don't know, I'm not telling you it is. I'm just saying there might be a 1% chance. You still wouldn't drink. It's not worth it. So in this case, it's not worth it. You need something to push you one way or another. And if there's nothing pushing you one way or another, then you have to choose, you have to err on the side of caution, as they say. You have to go on the side of cautiousness and not just gamble and say, yeah, I'm gonna risk it. Well, that's foolishness. Fine. We, we both claim to be using reason, but if you're just saying, yeah, don't worry about me, I'm just going to risk it. Okay, well, you are the one who is not using logic. And this is why we always say the materialist point of view, the atheistic point of view, is usually the one that we can, if you know how to show it, that's the weak side. That's the side that cannot show its position based on logic, based on reason, based on, you know, coherent uh, thinking. And then, of course, the end of this, we can say always, why? Why do we say that these are the two options? 
And part of this, this is just a, a glimpse of that, of that answer, but it's related to things that we have already said. This is supposed to be your world of opportunities. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not have to do it this way, but he did. You rejecting the opportunity that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you is a rejection, is a, allow me to say very disrespectfully, a slap in the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who gives you these opportunities. And we're not talking human to human here. We're talking about the creator of the universe. We're talking about the one who has full dominion, dominance, sovereignty over you and over everything. And he has decided that this is the structure. This is the world. This is the system he's going to put you through. And this is the opportunity that he gives you. If you had a child and you keep giving them opportunities, you keep giving them a white paper and you tell, you tell the child, why don't you draw something nice? And you know you're going to be proud of it at the end. And the child keeps, you know, spitting in your face or rejecting that or refusing to, I don't think you would be happy at the end. Well, this is a very kind of simplistic reductionist example, but this is what it is. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps pushing this life with its opportunities to us. The hard and the easy in this life are supposed to be equally a test. The good and the bad in this world are supposed to be equally the test. In other words, an opportunity. An opportunity to show who you are, to show what you choose, to show what you believe in, which values you stand for. As you deal with every test, the good and the bad, money, lack of money, health, lack of health, children, lack of children, whatever it may be. And so anyone who rejects that, this is one of the ways to explain why, why the eternal punishment. But this is not the full, inshallah, we're going to come and explain all of this in much more detail. This is just to touch on this. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to wrap this up, but you prefer the life of this world, yet the hereafter is better and more lasting. With all of this said, you still prefer the life of this world, while the hereafter is better and more lasting. Those who turn others away those who hinder away from the way of God and seek to make it crooked and who disbelieve in the hereafter. This is in, in verse 19 and then in verse 22 in Surah Hud. Without any doubt, it is they who shall be the greatest losers in the hereafter. Surah Al-Kahab, those who endeavor, those whose endeavors, so their energy, their efforts are misguided. are misguided in the life of this world while they suppose that they are doing good. So think about this. Inshallah, we're going to come in much more detail about this topic to, to explore this. Human beings who live in a way thinking that they are doing good. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here says, those whose endeavors are misguided in the life of this world, while they suppose that they are doing good. It is they who have rejected the signs of their Lord and his encounter, he so their deeds come to nothing. And on the day of resurrection, we will not give them any weight. These people carry no weight at all. And we talked about that. This is because it's a world of truth. How much truth did you come with? How much do you contribute to the truth? All of this that you stood for and you worked for, that's not the truth. You are misguided and walking in misguidance, going in a way of misguidance. 
As for those who do not believe in the hereafter, we have made their deeds seem decorous to them, nice, they're decorated. So when they look at their deeds, they feel that their deeds are beautiful. Allah SWT says we've misguided them that way because that's the path they chose. As for those who do not believe in the hereafter, we have made their deeds seem decorous to them. And so they are confused or they wander blindly. They are the ones for whom there is a terrible punishment and they are the ones who will be the biggest losers in the hereafter. And then all the verses that have to do with how this world is just full of ornaments. There are some people who say, Our Lord, give us in this world, Rabbana Adina, Vidunya Hasana, but they have nothing, they have no share in the afterlife. They only focus, even in their prayers, even when they talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even in their relationship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's all only about this world. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here says, There are people who it's as though the afterlife does not exist. It's as though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not exist. There is no relationship with God except that even when they ask for something of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're only focused on this life, on this world, nothing else. So those who say, of course, the next one is O humankind, Allah's promise is indeed true. Do not let the life of this world deceive you, and do not let the deceiver deceive you concerning Allah. So I think this wraps up the topic well. And then whoever desires the harvest of the hereafter, we will increase for him his harvest. And whoever desires the harvest of this world, we will give them or give him some of it. But in the hereafter, we will have no share. You do good, Allah subhanahu wa promises to amplify that good for you, to keep it for you in the afterlife. But you only work for this life. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, from all of your efforts to reach whatever you're trying to reach in this world, we will give you some of that. We will allow you to reach those things you're trying to reach, but then you have nothing to show and nothing awaiting you in the afterlife. In the next verse, in Surah Hud, as for those who desire the life of this world and its glitter, we will repay them in full in this life. So this is the justice. If that's all you believe in and that's all you work for, we'll give it to you in this life. And they will not be underpaid in it. They are the ones for whom there shall be nothing in the hereafter but fire. What they had accomplished will be nothing and futile will be all that they used to do. This is really to highlight, I have these verses, to highlight that you don't have a middle ground here. You are stuck. And I know these verses trigger other thoughts and other questions of how come the good is not amounting to good. And inshallah, we're going to get into that topic because we need to understand the relationship between faith and action. And are good actions good on themselves? Or do they require a will? And do they require a belief and an intention behind them? They are the ones who bought the life of this world. At what price? They are the ones who bought the life of this world for the hereafter. They took their hereafter, their afterlife, and they gave it in exchange for this world. That's how these people behave. So their punishment shall not be lightened, nor will they be helped. And then two quick, I thought, narrations from Imam Ali salam. The first one, Ibn Abbas, he narrates, he says, uh, Amir al-Mu'mineen said to me, and this is when the Imam was Khalifa. So this is a Khalifa of the Islamic world at that time. 
And when Ibn Abbas passes by him and he sees the Imam fixing his sandal, it had ripped and the Imam was sitting fixing his sandal, so he tells Ibn Abbas. And this is to the point of, you know, to what extent should you focus on this world or not? See the answer of the Imam. He gives a condition. He says, he tells Ibn Abbas, what is the price of this sandal? And Ibn Abbas says, I said, it is worthless. It's a sandal. He said, he then said, I swear by Allah that it is more dear to me than ruling over you unless I establish right and ward off wrong. There's a condition. A khilafah is worthless. Anything in this life is worthless unless it is being used as a means. If it's being used to bring you closer to Allah, then it has worth. Otherwise, the entire khilafah, these wars and these calamities, and you know, when the Imam is talking, people understand what he's saying. The wars that the Imam went through for less than five years of khilafah, he goes through three major wars and then he's assassinated by one of the factions, one of the groups. This is very, very telling for the people in that time because they see, you know, there, there, are, there are tens of thousands of people dying. And at the end of the day, if you want to only look at things from a worldly perspective, you would say these are horrible prices that are being paid for something like khilafah. So don't get tricked, Ibn Abbas, and anyone else. Don't get tricked that we are doing all of this just for khilafah. Because khilafah to me is not worth this sandal. This world in itself is not worth this sandal. It is only worth something if it is used as a means for something else. And in this case, the Imam talks about Amr bin Ma'roof and Nayyan al Munkar. You want to establish good in society and prevent evil from happening in society, that's completely different. Now, khilafah or any effort in that path has a completely different meaning, and that is worth fighting for. Okay? And then the, this final part from, uh, or, or extract or passage, it's actually longer. I just took a little part of it. One of the close companions of, of uh, Imam Ali alayhi salam, Dirar, uh, it is said that he went to, to Sham and he saw uh, Muawiyah. And so Muawiyah knew that he was one of the close companions of Imam Ali alayhi salam, and this is right after Imam Ali had been assassinated. He had been killed. So he tells him, describe to us how Ali was, and so he tells him, no, you know, excuse me from that, and he tells him, no, no, I insist. So finally he describes the Imam. And he, there's a, a whole passage before that, inshallah, we'll leave it for another time. But notice the, the description and the, the, the interaction of Imam Ali السلام, with this world. And to me, of course, I'm not saying this is how we can be with this world. This is Imam Ali السلام, we're talking about. We call him the prince of believers for a reason. We call him the, you know, the leader of the pious, the imam of the pious for a reason. Even the imams themselves, they consider him their imam. And they say that no one attains or can attain what Imam Ali السلام, would attain. Okay, so inshallah we'll talk about those aspects. But the interaction of the Imam deserves to be looked at. The Imam does not reach that level just on its own by itself as though God just pushes that on him, imposes that on him. He forces himself to be in that state. He makes an effort 
to go in that state, to constantly remind himself, what is my relationship with the world? And so in this one, and when Bilal talks, we have an image. The Imam is really as though the Imam is dealing with a human being, talking to the world. And this is where I think, you know, for us, whatever the form is, we need these reminders. We need to, to push these reminders, to place these reminders in our lives one way or another, whatever they may be. So finally, when, when, uh, when Dilar explains, he says at some point, he says, I stand witness that I have seen him on several occasions. When night had spread and he was standing in the niche, in the mihrab of the mosque, holding his head, groaning like a man bitten by a snake and weeping as a grieved man. So anyone who would look at him, this is what you would think. You know, how would someone, you know, what kind of, of sounds or noises would be coming of someone who had just been bitten by a snake or someone who has just lost a very dear person to them. And so he says, he was groaning like a man bitten by a snake and weeping as a grieved man, saying, O world, O world, get away from me. Have you presented yourself to me? Is it for me that you are eager? Your moment will never come. Deceive some other. I have no concern with you. I have divorced you thrice, whereafter there is no return. For your life, and this is the explanation, and I was hoping that you see this as a summary of everything we said. He says, for your life is short. Your importance is little. Your aspirations, the most that you can aspire to in this world, your aspirations are insignificant. Alas, for the scarcity of the provision. So this is the, the food that you prepare for a travel. That's a provision, right? So remember everything that we talked about when we talked about our journey into the afterlife. Okay, so now the Imam is lamenting. He is saying, you know, how difficult all of this is going to be. Alas, for the scarcity, the, how little of provision we have prepared, the scarcity of the provision, the distance of the journey, the loneliness of the way, and the difficulty of the destination. So these are, inshallah, just reminders for us of how the Imam imposes this type of thinking on himself, how he puts himself in these types of situations and when. Barar says, this is happening multiple times. I, I, he says, Ashhad, I stand witness that I have seen him multiple times. This is after everybody goes to bed, Everybody leaves and sleeps. The Imam goes to the mosque, to the mihrab, and these are his states. So, inshallah, with this we have concluded this, this part of the discussion. Inshallah, the next time we continue by looking at other aspects of the relationship of this world with the next, and then we'll get into the topics related to the relationship between faith and belief, and this will allow us to start understanding the nature of the reward, the type of reward that we get in the afterlife. And then that will, inshallah, hopefully allow us to understand a little bit these problematic notions of eternity of happiness and eternity of hell and how can those match, you know, the very limited lifetimes that human beings spend in this life, in this world. And in addition to that, worse than that, the very, very limited amounts of time spent sinning or performing good in this world. Right? So within that whole life, there's only a part of it that is spent doing good or doing evil. 
So how does that lead to eternal happiness and eternal unhappiness? Inshallah, we'll get to all of that. If there are any questions, concerns, comments from the brothers on Zoom, please, uh, you can use the chat, uh, as well as those who are following on Facebook. If you have any questions or concerns, please raise them. And uh, we mentioned that maybe we can talk about the the topic that we had given a little bit as a homework, but I think I'm going to leave that to another time. Um, that's an excellent question. So uh, we, we took a little bit longer for the lecture part, so we're going to leave the, the homework that we had given to uh, the next time, inshallah. So what does Imam Ali mean when he says that he divorced this world three times? So this is a, a reference to fiqh. In fiqh, if a man divorces a woman uh, three times, then he is not allowed to get back to that woman. If you divorce a woman once, there's always a way for you to go back and marry that woman again without a, a contract, a marriage, a marriage contract. Uh, you know, unless you know other some, some conditions apply. But generally speaking, what the man, what Imam Ali is referring to, is this you know article of of legal law that basically says there is no way for that man to return to that woman. And if you notice the manner in which the Imam was actually talking to the world, he was talking to it as though it is a woman that is presenting herself to the Imam, trying to seduce him. That's how the Imam is talking to the world. And that's why he says, you know, get away from me. Have you presented yourself to me? Is it for me that you are eager? Your moment will never come deceive some other. All of these are to be understood as though the Imam is talking to a woman who's presenting herself to the Imam, and this is how he views the world. Okay, and this, as we said, we can spend one or more lectures just on this and the lessons that we can take out of this. Because in this case, you know, the, the, the pleasure is coming to the Imam. And so, yeah, wa'antum. Uh, so the idea is, if you understand that the general context of how the Imam is the image that the Imam is, is putting in place and how he's talking to the world, he, he, he kind of finalizes, concludes that uh, analogy by saying, you know, I have divorced you three times, so there is no way for us to ever get back together, uh, kind of thing. So that the Imam is just closing the door entirely on uh, any relationship with, with the world. Uh, I don't think there's any other questions or concerns, so inshallah we meet next time.